Welcome back. I'm Peter Wood, and I'm the author of Mud Between Your Toes, A Rhodesian Farm, which is a memoir about my life growing up in Zimbabwe, or formerly Rhodesia, in the 1960s and 70s. This is a podcast about family, independence, loss, and above all, identity. Hello, and welcome back to another edition of Conversations with Peter Wood. In today's episode, I'm absolutely stoked to introduce my cousin, Mark Alden. Mark was kind enough to talk to me via Skype from London. So, Mark, welcome to Conversations with Pete Wood. Hello, cousin. How are you? I'm, I'm really good. It's so good to hear your voice, Mark. Um, I think perhaps I should, uh, I should start by giving listeners some background about you and your, your family, particularly those who haven't read my book. Um, so, and stop me if I'm going completely wrong here, but uh, Mark is a journalist who's written for several publications, including The Guardian. He wrote an excellent book called Murder in Notting Hill, which I will get to later. Mark's sister, Madeleine, features often in my book, and his parents, Susan and Andrew Ray, were successful actors on both stage and screen in the late 50s, 60s, and going into the 70s. How am I doing so far, Mark? Perfect. Thanks, no, Pete. No, nothing wrong there, yeah? Now, now your, your mum, Susan, my mum's sister, um, she was uh, a second mum to me when I was a teenager. But I was always somewhat starstruck by her very blasé attitude to her many famous friends. So tell me, how was it growing up with parents who were very much in the public eye? Or were you too young to register these famous faces? Um, I suppose I was too young to register uh, the famous, you know, some of these famous faces. But um, also, as you well know, uh, Andrew and Susan, my mum and dad, your uncle and aunt, were, um, were quite different in many respects. And Andrew, at, at one point in his career, sort of gave it up and... Um, went and lived with the, with the untouchables in India and we also moved to the country in Suffolk and sort of gave where he gave up all the where he wasn't really acting much at that point so there were all these highs and lows and so sort of the fame and showbiz wasn't really a constant presence if you know and what that I mean. would have been in your very early days yes that's right in in my early days we were growing up well when their marriage was breaking up we kept on coming back between what was Rhodesia and Suffolk and um, not really settling in either place. So I was growing up between those two places until about the age of eight. But um, yes, as you say, it was just normal for us because uh, my dad's father was Ted Ray, who was quite a famous comedian for people of a certain generation. And um, I suppose people like Diana Dawes. Yeah. Used to go yeah. To her house quite a lot. And um, Kenneth Williams of the Carry On fame, uh, Carry On film fame was my godfather, although I didn't really have a lot to do with him because um, not that they had any falling out, uh, my dad and him. It was just their chemistry didn't quite work later on. I think they both made each other depressed. But oh, they'd been gosh, OK, you wouldn't care. think that of Kenneth Williams. I mean, his outward persona was very much that of, of humour. Yes. But I think they just brought each sort of uh, melancholy out in each other. 
that's so interesting. Yeah. So interesting. I mean, I suppose it's it's worth telling people the achievements of Andrew and Susan uh, at this stage. You know, Andrew and Susan's stage names were Ray, or was it only Andrew who used Ray and Susan used her maiden name Burnett? Um, yes, that's right. Although Andrew did used to use Olden when he was, um, you know, or, or different identities when he didn't really want people to find him. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, which, of course, their real name was Nedlow, was it? No, 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 no. That was the, it, 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 Ted Ray, Andrew's father, was Nedlow the pirate or something, which, of course, is Olden backwards. That's right. That was his first stage name, which wasn't a very good one. So he was a huge golf fanatic. And there was, um, I think, the, the biggest golfer of, of the sort of 1930s or even before was an American golfer called Ted Ray. So that's where he adopted the name. from. Really? OK. Yeah. I mean, he was a really famous radio comic, wasn't he? It was all radio, wasn't it? He was. I mean, his you know how these things pass. People don't know who Ted Ray is now, but of, of that era, um, 40s and 50s he was and, and musical he started off as a in musical and then radio when it was a high achieving family wasn't it I mean Andrew's brother was Robin Ray who was an actor and broadcaster uh, what was he famous for Robin um, Robin was a TV host and um, he he did film buff of the year he did quite a lot of BBC programs here and he was one of the founders of the radio station Classic FM. Classic um, FM, and and he did something called Face the Music. That's he? it. Face the Music was his was what he was best known for. That's right. Yeah. Call my bluff and face the music, and then it goes on because I haven't even got to Andrew and Susan yet. Robin's wife Susan Stranks was also an actor and broadcaster. Obviously, was, I didn't grow up in the UK, but what was she known for? Well, I remember, Susan, when she met you, when you came over, when you were over visiting, it must have been the early 1980s, and she was saying how handsome you were. She couldn't get over. <laughs> God, well, that <laughs> didn't last. Worst. But um, no, Susan was a host of a, a, t a kids' TV programme she was best known for, Magpie. So people of a certain generation know her very well. Okay, um, I've got something called Jukebox jukebox jury which is a bit of a mouthful to say jukebox jury yeah magpie was the was was one of the two big kids programs of the day and <laughs> wow. and there seems to be an obsession among as i say amongst people of a certain age that she didn't wear a bra on it oh it's brilliant if you look her up on youtube there seems that seems to be the uh Thing which comes up it's i mean incredible so so i mean that was the one side of her. i mean then now your side okay i mean andrew and susan andrew in fact was a child star at 10 years old wasn't he and for his role in the in the movie mudlark with alec guinness um but he went on to so many other movies and plays i really can't name them now um what were his most memorable well, um, as you say, he was a child star, and I think he had, he had a contract with 20th Century Fox as a as a kid. But when he hit the his late teens, you know, as as happens to many child stars, things kind of the wheels kind of came off for a while. Um, and he was in the papers for for sort of crashing cars and spending the money for which he all got all the wrong reasons. Yeah, when he turned 18, he got all the money from all his films. But then from then, he did have a steady acting career and um, he was in a lot of Tales of the Unexpected, which was a, 
I think it was an ITV programme, Roald Dahl. Um, so I think, did it, was it Roald Dahl who wrote it? I, I but, remember um, them, yeah. They yeah. were sort of a precursor to um, uh, Denon and a Denon. I can't remember that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, but, but um, I mean, my uh, most memorable movie would have been his incredible, brilliant portrayal as the as as George the Sixth in Edward and Mrs. Simpson, which of course went uh, he went on to do Crown Matrimonial, which is I suppose the stage version of that. Yeah, I think that was a big revival point in his career, actually, definitely. It, I mean, he was absolutely superb in that, and even and your mum Sue also played the the young Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. She did. I think that was at the Seven Arts in what was Salisbury. Um, yeah. But, you know, her her acting sort of ended after she had uh, Madeleine, uh, you know, your cousin, my sister. And I don't think she was ever really. I, I talked about that to her before she um, before she died in 2009. And she never had any regrets that she she gave up acting so young. And but she I also she, she hated the paparazzi, didn't she? And she really hated them. It wasn't just. Uh... Oh God, they're a bind. I mean, she really disliked uh, the no. whole, and that was the early days of, you know, La Dolce Vita when the paparazzi were starting to really get under people's skin. Exactly, yeah. and um, unlike some others in in my side of the family, she didn't she didn't like to be the centre of attention at all. And yet when she was on the stage, she was the centre of attention. You couldn't take your eyes off her. I mean, let me just tell you uh, something. Let me tell the the listeners something about Susan. So she won a scholarship to Lambda when she was just 15. So she was way too young. So the whole family, I mean, I think my mum included, but my gran and granddad decamped to the UK for, I think, must have been something like two years to keep a close eye on her. Am I correct? Yes, that's what that's that's what I've been told as well. Yeah. Imagine just closing up house and shipping off to another continent for two years. My God, it must have been amazing. Yeah. I mean, was she, working at BBC, wasn't she at that time? Well, she was working at BBC. She was one of the uh, the first, if not the first, female. Oh, I don't know what she was doing. Technician. Or so. It's hard to believe. She can hardly use a mobile phone now but anyway um but susan susie was an incredibly talented acting i mean she was literally plucked from drama school and went straight into the west end on the Haymarket to play in the flowering cherry which also starred sir rolf richardson and celia johnson that's right and that's where she was that where she met andrew exactly um, apparently he was very spotty at the time and he was heartbroken because um, this singer whose name eludes me, who was quite famous, um, had just announced her engagement, who he thought he was going out with, had just announced her engagement in the newspapers to somebody else. So he'd had to read about it in the paper. So um, those were the circumstances. Under I, mean, the same- yeah, they, I remember being told that there was opposition to the marriage. I don't think from our gran and granddad, but I think from uh, Andrew's side. Uh, That's is that right. because they were just so very young? They were. I think Andrew was, it was either 19 and 20 or 18 and 19. I can't remember. And they were so sweet. I mean, the pictures, the newspaper clippings. I remember sitting in Avondale at, my, at 18 Harrow Avenue in uh, Salisbury, going to 
and an, a big suitcase full of newspaper clippings of Susan and Andrew. And um, I used to pour over them. I remember one in the Daily Mirror, I think, of Susan and fishnet tights called Saucy Susan. It was a whole page. and But the one that I remember most of all, and I've never been able to... I don't know whether you still have that clipping. I think we were so casual. You know, the whole bloody lot got lost somewhere along the line. But there was one with Susan running out of the stage door at the back of the theatre with her wedding dress hoiked up above her knees. And she was running to try to get to her wedding. And, of course, the headline was, get me to the church on time. I mean, I remember brilliant. That. I mean, so brilliant. What a great photo. I wish I could find that in the archives. I don't even know which newspaper it was. I've got a lot in the attic. I'll, look, I'll, I'll try and dig it out, Pete. I think I might have it. Uh, just, uh, you know, I mean, it would be nice, uh, uh, you know, to keep, you should, you know, you should photograph those things and keep them as a record. So, so we talked about Kenneth Williams as your godfather. Um, you know, I mean, there were so many famous people. And my mum tells a story about, I mean, I think this is when she went back to England. She, she must have had us kids by then. And she was having lunch at Andrew's flat, your dad's flat in Bayswater, I think, where she was sandwiched between Rupert Everett on one side and Kenneth Williams on the other. And I think Rupert Everett has, had just finished another country. So he was on the cusp of his fame and yeah. Lib said she didn't get a word in edgeways and that takes something i tell you what but she said she was sandwiched in by these two queens and they just never stopped talking the whole lunch yeah i mean we were very lucky to grow up around such sort of uh varied and interesting people really oh i know and there i was growing up on a farm and you know lib used to drop names all the time and i know it's terrible but you know other friends okay included joan collins Susanna york richard harris now richard harris okay do you remember the story he used to come when our grand and granddad and lib lived in earl's court during susan's student days uh, when she was at lambda and Richard Harris was so poor that he used to come to their flat every Friday for a slap-up meal, which was cooked by our gran. Now, God forbid, the poor guy must have been hungry because I don't think uh, our gran ever boiled an egg in her life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know Richard Harris was at Lambda, I think, with, with, um, with Susan. So I, 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 that's how it would have happened. Oh my God, and I mean, when he was drunk, he asked her to run off with him once. That's I have a vague wow uh, memory of that story. <laughs> well, probably just as well that didn't happen, Ma. Yeah. I wouldn't be talking to you now anyway. I mean, Lib and my mum's friend, Lib's best friend at that time, I think, was an actress called Jill Ireland, who went ah. on and married Charles Bronson. Um, yeah. And also her other best friend was a beautiful woman called Shirley Ann Field, who... The only time I ever saw her was in a command performance um, where she played the mistress in My Beautiful Laundrette. Um, but I think she did some pretty good things in her she early did. life. In fact, Lib's 18th birthday, um, there was Richard Harris, Joan Collins, Jill Island, Shirley Ann Fields, all went to my mum's 18th birthday, all of whom uh, went on to fame and fortune. 
Wow. Or, or certainly fame, if not fortune. And Lib <laughs> went to live on a farm in Africa. Yeah, um, amazing. Yeah, I, I, I've got to tell you a little story. Um, my mum was going out uh, around about that time called uh, a chap called Ronnie Hanbury. Um, I don't know if you ever heard the story. Ronnie had a house on Cheney Walk, you know, that very posh little street uh, down yes, in... Uh, Nick Shagger, Rolling Stones, all that. That's right. You know, by all accounts, Ronnie was a pretty wealthy guy. He wrote, among other things, a TV show called Life with the Lions, way before our time. Anyway, he died in a car crash in Cannes or somewhere in the south of France. And rumor has it he left his entire fortune to his Rhodesian girlfriend. Um, but of course, by this time, mum was married to my dad. And, you know, she didn't really want to know anything about it or didn't want to embarrass my dad about her past lovers. Um, but it was years later when I was rather impoverished and living in London, I went down to the probate registry, which used to be in Marlborough House back then, to find uh, his last will and testament. I mean, they, were, they couldn't have been more helpful down there, but unfortunately I failed miserably. I couldn't find any will. Um, and I, I, you know, I was dreaming of great expectations. What an amazing story. Yeah, I know. I know. I wonder who the, the Rhodesian girlfriend is. I hope it was my it mom. Had I mean, it had to know, be It had to be. Surely he didn't have another one. I think uh, Susan and Andrew's best friend, uh, you know, as far as fame goes, was Diana Dawes, wasn't that? Wasn't she? Yes. Um, I mean, did, you know, just... did you know her? I did know Diana. I did know Diana well. Um, Andrew was kind of a confidant to hers of hers. He she would call her up. He would she would call him up every day with the latest in her travails and her love life. Um, and we used to go down to her house in Sunningdale in Berkshire, where she had the big indoor swimming pool and all those kind of things. And um, she was. Um, I mean, she was a, an incredible character, and um, I mean, Berkshire, I have to say it, that, that that place in Berkshire, you know, it was quite a scandalous place, wasn't it? It it, it was very uh, yes, unbelievable scandals. I mean, we luckily were uh, didn't see all that, but no, Jason, but it is it. Well, it, look, it is in her book, so don't worry about yes. that. I mean, she, no, I was just trying to think of how to phrase it. Right. Um, <laughs> no, you don't. You don't have to rephrase yeah. that. I think people get the idea. You know, yeah. it was. The, it was the. It was the time. You know, it was the seventies after all, or was it yeah. earlier than that? Late sixties. Um, yeah. You know, but also at the time, the UK was going through a terrible depression, wasn't it? I mean, there were power cuts. It was down to a three-day work week. It was cold. Mm. Uh, by all accounts. It wasn't a very nice place to live and bring up kids. So I suppose it was, was it about then or was it, just, was it about then that you returned to live in Rhodesia, to live at 18 yeah. Harrow Avenue? That's right. I mean, we, as I said, we've been coming back and forth. I mean, it was, I think it was mostly because of um, the, the, you know, my mum and dad never divorced, but they, they separated. And I think it was mostly really to do with the marriage kind of. Mm. Okay. Okay. That we came back. And I was eight or nine, and Madeleine is three or four years older than me. Yeah, and that would have been really when I got to know you too, 
best. I mean, I had got to know you on your trips earlier, but they were very for very short periods. This was the you know the first time you actually came out and lived. That's right. But of course, Rhodesia was in the midst of a civil war. Um, and I've got to say, it was thanks to uh, you, Madeleine um, and Sue, that I kind of learned to be more liberal, although um, I think I only became liberal after I left the country or certainly overtly liberal after I left the country. I, I wasn't very liberal at the time, I might add. But mm. I, I used, it, we used to love it. I mean, your dad, Andrew, used to wind everyone up. I mean, white Rhodesians were easily wound up, I'm sorry to say. And, you know, although I do believe he he believed in those values that he used to say, but I also think he did it just to be provocative, especially to my dad. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt at all he did it to be provocative. I mean, I think... Um, you know, he, he arrived. In, they used in to 19- have epic arguments, didn't they? They did have epic arguments. And I mean, the first, you know, he arrived in 1968. Um, I mean, obviously he'd been there before, but but this is, I've got from something he wrote and actually speaking to people. He'd been on a British council tour of India and suddenly thought that it was all meaningless and dropped out of the tour, leaving them in the lurch and going off and living with Arthur C. Clarke and... Um, Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones and giving away all those possessions. And then he decided he had to go. We were we were very young then. We were this was before we moved. He decided moved to Rhodesia. He, he decided that he had to um go and see Sue, had to go and see his wife. And he took this incredibly circuitous round-the-world trip to get there. And he arrived in bedecked in jewelry, Fantastic. in flowing uh, robes with a walking stick. I mean, Rhodesia oh, that's right. It's not, you know, so he did like winding people up. He did sort of like causing, um, causing. Uh, oh, my God, that's stuff. right. I remember my dad saying he drove my, on the farm. My dad, my dad drove down to the compound one morning and there was Andrew in his caftan doing yoga or something in the middle of the compound. My dad must have gone spare. Yeah. Uh, I remember but- one story on the farm was that. I think your dad had to go off when they, you know, when people get called out for uh, an incident or whatever, whatever it is. And so Andrew was the last man left there and he was told to take charge. And he kept thinking, uh, what was he going to say? People came, uh, I'm an English Buddhist. <laughs> I'm a pacifist. That's it. Uh, but I, we absolutely loved him and we loved his stories. But, you uh, you know, it all obviously rubbed off on all of you. I mean, Madeleine dyed her hair pink and, you know, had did the whole safety pin thing. And, of course, Queen Elizabeth School asked her to leave school because back then you couldn't have pink hair. I mean, I mean you, on the other hand, uh, when you were growing up, was the most normal, whatever that means. And yet, Mark Alden... It was you who made the biggest splash of all when you were just 10 years old. Discuss. Um, oh, the 10 years old. I thought you were going to talk about when I got my mohawk, when I went overnight. No, no, no. We'll get to that <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah, we'll get the mohawk. Um, well, when I was 10, um, I wanted to have a letter in the newspaper column. So I wrote to my dad um, and I thought it would just be a little letter in a newspaper column. And I think it was in the midst of the 1978 elections in Rhodesia. Um, and my letter was basically, I went to Hartman House and St George's, which were 
obviously, you know, one of the very few multiracial schools at the time. But my letter was about trying to take um, a black friend of mine to the local swimming pool. Um, now, there was a problem with that, <laughs> with that mm. letter. But what happened was, and uh, my dad, instead of it being a letter in the co- a letter in a newspaper column, it was a big splash. Son of actor Andrew Ray, the tragedy of Rhodesia by ten-year-old um, British boy, and um, the tragedy was that I couldn't take my black no. friend to a swimming pool. Now, the, the 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 issue with the story was while there was a sort of de facto apartheid in place, and there were problems having a, a, a black friend at the time. It was that this was not the case in law, and I'd sort of used a, a you know a metaphor. I'd made it up which was, a, you know, not a good thing for someone who wanted to be a journalist in the future, but it didn't happen. That incident did not oh, happen. I, I think you're absolutely in good hands there, Mark. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the incident didn't happen because, actually, the law, even though you might not have seen black people at the swimming at the Avondale pool where I used to go, um, but the law was that parks, swimming pools, theatres and hotels were, in theory, multiracial. So what happened, I mean, you might remember the other aspect of that story better than me, but um, I think it was in a Scottish newspaper and then it reached some of your Scottish relatives in Rhodesia and suddenly all hell was breaking loose because we were in the midst of a war. Look, and... you know, look Mark, the, the letter itself, I've got an extract. Do you mind if I read it? Because really, I think, uh, I think people need to understand just how ridiculously um, right-wing we were back then because i mean you've just got to listen to this letter it's actually really quite mundane can i just read some of it yeah of course yeah all right sir i came to rhodesia two years ago and was staggered by the fact that the european and african races cannot live happily this worthless racial war which has wasted both black and white men's lives can also be embarrassing for example i have an african friend who i took to the swimming baths just because the color of his skin, he was not allowed in. And then it goes on to say that your dad says, you'll be pleased to know it went out to 12 million readers of the sun. That should please him. I mean, you read that, there's nothing wrong with what you've just read. Uh, except, except the fact that actually <laughs> there wasn't, the, the pool incident didn't happen. And I um and and when we say twelve million readers to Sun, I couldn't have been less happy because I mean it was an, entirely my fault. But and in in the general principle of the letter, I'm happy with it. But that central fact was wrong. And what happened was suddenly all hell was breaking loose, and a guy from the uh, Rhodesia Herald turned up to to interview me and say, "Well, what was the swimming pool?" And for a ten year old, I felt this was it. It felt you know absolutely. I felt I'd have to leave the country and I loved my school. I actually settled in much better with sport and everything else than Madeleine did. I was really much happier there in those first, in those years. I loved it. I mean, what a place to grow up. But I felt, oh, God, it was like the world was collapsing in on me. And God bless um, our auntie, no, not our auntie Joan, your our mum's auntie Joan and Ganty and Fluffy, our grandparents, because um, they said, well, say it's a pool in Macheki. You know, um, and uh, sort of came up 
even though they were embarrassed by the letter, but they really, they, they were great. And actually the journalist was fantastic because in the end he was actually sympathetic. He could see I was crying and everything and he, they didn't run the story. Was, I mean, it was awful. I, I think even special branch came round and knocked on the door at one stage of 18 Harrow Avenue. And, yeah. and you know, you know I, I felt that my family were a bit sort of, um, uh, what is the word I'm gonna say? Cowardly really, because you know, they told me not they didn't, but they told me to take you for a walk down the road and give you a good speaking to. Do you, do you remember? And so I took it, and I thought, right, you know, I've got nothing against what you had written. So, you know, I took you down the road and said, well, you know, Mark, you know, everyone's rather disappointed in you, you know, and, and you said, yes, I know, you know, I won't do it again. You know, it's ridiculous, really. Um, but of course, you did rebel in the end, didn't you? Because I've got a, I've got the photo, which the photo I'm going to use in this uh, uh, this episode was of you going back to Rhodesia or Zimbabwe, I think it was then, because it would have been 1981, I think, in full mohawk, taken outside the Golden Arch in Harare on First Street, with um, I think you were making quite a few waves down the street. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what the sort of attention-seeking gene was in me. I think I was partly influenced by Madeleine. I was also partly influenced, I went, you know how our schools, PE as well as St George's, were so strict and, you know, you're getting uh, corporal punishment the whole time. And uh, and I loved my school at one, and then I sort of flipped overnight and went from really being into sport, really being into those things, came and visited my dad, went to a punk concert, and then overnight came back um, with the full with the full gear. But obviously, you don't walk down First Street or whatever it was, not seeking attention. And, well, no, I mean, it was it was brilliant though. I had left the country by then. I was actually living in the UK then, so I never saw you in your full regalia back then. I saw you in your full regalia down um, down in Notting Hill, but not in the UK. I mean, 18 Harrow Avenue in. Harare in Salisbury. I mean, it was quite a place to live and to grow up. I mean, there was always a constant stream of rather extraordinary people coming through. There were. Yeah, I, I just want to sort of mention three of them. I mean, the one woman who was there, it seems she was there every single day, was this rather tragic character called Helen Martin. Yeah. Um, and Helen was actually, well, she was an orphan. She was my grand's, our grand's age, but she, she was uh, she was orphaned at a very young age after her mother had set light to her cot. And so she was brought up by these very cruel nuns. And of course, because she had been set alight as a baby, she was scarred for life. And the, the grafts all over her face um, were like a baby's bottom, even when she was, you know, in her 70s and 80s. And she used to wear she was caked with makeup to try and hide it. Yeah. And then there was uh, another woman, another character called Greta Campbell. I don't know whether you were, you remember Greta. I uh, remember Greta's name and rather than, yeah, I think she was just before my yeah, era. You yeah. know, well, she was, she was married twice, both to major generals, both her husbands were major generals. And uh, so she was Greta Campbell. And then before that, then, well, I can't remember what her other, anyway, um, she was friends with Noel Coward. Mm. And um, and her nephew, Peter Lawford, married a Kennedy, uh, you know, as in JFK, that yeah. sort of Kennedy. Um, and so you can imagine the kind of conversations over tea down at 18 Harrow Avenue there. Oh, and another person who turned up 
And this must have been in the 60s. So both you and I were, well, I certainly, you know, was a toddler, was Dave yeah. Allen, the Irish um, comedian. Wow. And I don't know how he ended up at uh, our grand's place for, 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 for gin and tonics, but I think it must have been through Greta Campbell's son Duncan Campbell who was one of the broadcasting house lovies and I know yeah. Dave Dave Allen did a tour of South Africa in the 70s um, and then of course you know the, uh, our other cousin Fiona Herbert who went on to marry and Fiona lived lived at 18 Harrow Avenue um, yeah and she went on to marry Lord Montague of Bewley who here again I think she met Lord Montague through your mum and dad I might be wrong I don't, or, yes, I'm not sure. I don't or know. Or maybe it was through Diana Dawes, I don't know. It might have been through Diana. I remember them all going to a big party, Diana and, I mean, I didn't go, but I remember them all dressing up for it and Fiona was there. Uh, I mean, yeah. it was it was happy times. It was also, uh, it, you know, it was it was a teenage times as well. We went through all our yeah. teenage angst there. It was a wonderful, wonderful place to be 18 Harrow Avenue. And that's going to be my next episode. And so I think we're waffling on a bit because it's already gone over 30 minutes and it's meant to be a, be a, meant to be a 15 minute episode, which is brilliant. Yeah. But I, so before we go, Mark, I want you to tell me a little bit about your book, Murder in Notting Hill. Give me the synopsis and where can we buy it? Oh, well, thank you, Pete. Um, it was a book I wrote quite a while ago, actually. Um, and I had, I'd worked on a television program about it and it was, uh, for the BBC and it was, it wasn't a very good program and there was a lot more information, which I, um, which I had. So it's about an unsolved racist murder in the Notting Hill area of London. When a true this story. Which, yes, a true story, which was a very significant case, um, you know, at the time and, and very influential and was considered the first racial murder in the country. Obviously, it wasn't, but it was the first one which had a really profound political impact. So I just spent a lot of time trying to investigate it and trying to find um, evidence about it, because at that time, the suspects were still alive. Um, so, yeah, but that was it the one. It's, it's beautifully written, actually, and it's a lovely small book as well. Perfect for taking on holiday. And is it, still, is it available on Amazon? Yes, it's available on Amazon. Great. And uh, and I love your book and I listen to every podcast as well. <laughs> you liar. <laughs> no, I do. I, <laughs> you can so test listen, listen, Mark, we are already coming up to 35 minutes, so we're going to have to end off here. Um, it's been absolutely brilliant catching up. And I, you know what? I miss your mum and dad enormously. They were such an influence. And it's so nice to talk about it in this episode. They died way too young, didn't they? They did. Thank you very much, Pete. And they loved you. But and, their memory uh, lives on in my book and in my podcast. Right. Thank you very much, Pete. I've enjoyed Mark, it. Loved fantastic it. chatting. OK, take care. Yeah. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. That was my cousin Mark Olden speaking from London. Now, I must uh, apologize in advance for the quality of my own microphone, which seemed to go in and out throughout the interview. Well, that's about it. Thank you so much for listening to me. And remember, you can tune into my new episodes of Mud Between Your Toes via iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Blueberry, and Pocket Casts. 
Don't forget, you can always buy a copy of my book on both Amazon and Kindle. And I also welcome comments by email on mudbetweenyourtoes at gmail.com. If you want to get involved and you have a good story to tell about those years in Rhodesia, and if you're brave enough to be interviewed for Mud Between Your Toes, feel free to write to me. Goodbye.